Are the Jazz finding the West? Plus, what about the East? Talk about that with Jeremy Taché of Bally Sports Florida as we finish up 2022 here on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Process losses. That was Wednesday night for the Utah Jazz. In my opinion, as you look at this week and what has happened since the last time that I popped on, and there have been three games, Washington at home, San Antonio on the road, Golden State on Wednesday. Oddly enough, you can hear my Washington thoughts on the Jazz Broadcast podcast page because I filled in on the radio and gave my thoughts on the KSL Sports Zone. But as for the latest, and Wednesday was pretty indicative of this, of a process lost. The result was not exactly what anyone would have wanted. Lose to the Warriors without Steph, Clay, Wiggs. They're relying on two-way guys, Anthony Lamb, Ty Jerome, and a dude who was in the G League a couple weeks ago, and James Wiseman. I didn't know Patrick Baldwin Jr. would be playing a huge role in getting them a victory. But that's who the Jazz lost to. And if you take it in the context of this week, way better loss than Monday. Way better. Monday was a legitimate five games this year where you don't have it, and that was one of the five, because there's no way that the Jazz, on town alone, should be losing to San Antonio. And by the way, Spurs need to get Jakob Pertl on a contender, because he's such a winning player that he deserves to be playing real minutes in April in the playoffs. You gotta get him somewhere, because he is a winning game. But it was him, it was Devin Vassell, It was Keldon Johnson getting straight drives into the paint or getting post-ups where they could back down into there because the post-defense was outrageous. 70 points in the paint, and it didn't look good. It didn't look like it was working properly. They got into foul trouble, and when you don't have Kelly Olenek as another body, another option to defend in the post, get really thin. Things get super thin, super fast. And that's why a lot of the credit has to be to having him back into the lineup on Wednesday. Kelly Olenek makes stuff happen. He tries stuff. And defensively, having him as an option boosts the floor of the defense. Because as reliant as you are on Walker Kessler being the rim protector, he's the only one that inspires fear in the hearts of anybody attacking. Kelly Olenek, Jared Vanderbilt, giving you more options and more competent minutes defensively, even if they aren't world beaters, helps with the team size, which they can lack. It's a season-long trend with the Jazz. Their paint defense, straight-line drives, even that short mid-range stuff, teams are shooting pretty well. Numbers according to Clean the Glass. Jazz are in the bottom five in accuracy defensively for that short mid-range, long mid-range, all mid-range. Teams are shooting 44.8% in the short mid-range. That's 25th. And 457 in the long mid-range. And then at the rim, teams are shooting 66%, but doing that at a pretty high frequency. Monday was the worst case. And then Golden State comes, and it looked much better. It was a team responding to coaching, answering a challenge, and doing things differently than they had the game before. They got done in because... They couldn't hit a shot in the fourth, and Ty Jerome and company got hot. Ty Jerome 
scored 15 of his 19 in that third quarter to fourth quarter bridge that he played, and he was empowered. That entire team was empowered. He was hitting pull-up transition threes to have the confidence on a two-way contract to take that shot. That goes to the entire system. And going back to where I felt the Warriors were earlier this year, having to play those young guys, I have no confidence in that. But now to see them in December, as they get more time, as Clay, Steph, Wiggins, they're managing their minutes. Eventually, Andre Iguodala is going to become more player than podcaster. But their young players are fitting in. They understand the Warriors' way of play. And Will Hardy said this pretty brilliantly in the postgame of how he wants to replicate the Golden State system in a Utah way. You watch the Warriors, it's not like they force the ball to Steph and he goes one-on-one with somebody. It's everybody's moving, the ball finds energy that Mike D'Antoni sang, they attack matchups that are favorable in their end, and they go. You don't see late game Steph saying, I'm just going to take on Giannis. I'm going to take on the best defensive player on the floor. No, they move it around, and they find the matchup that they can best exploit. That's how really good offensive teams get it done. And then the other thing is how their young players get into the game and don't look lost. They fit in, and they know the Warriors' way. Jordan Poole had some pretty Steph Curry-ish relocations. And that's what makes Steph so difficult, is that he's relocating, he's running around, they look like bees buzzing all over the court on offense. Poole relocated on three with Draymond, and he flipped it back to him, and Poole hit a three right in the corner. And they fit. They fit, they empowered themselves, and they looked confident in fitting in their role. But the Jazz didn't lose that game because of effort. The Jazz didn't lose that game because they weren't focused on the right things. They lost it because they couldn't hit a shot. Lowry Markkinen goes over in the fourth quarter. He had the right start to the game, but finishing it up was much different. But I don't think they, they got trash looks. thought it all looked pretty good as far as the offense. They had opportunities on the free throw line to win the game. Two for Kelly, two for Jordan, and they missed free throws. And then their opportunities on the floor, Draymond Green showed why he's a generational defensive talent. He was doing the Draymond things. Jared Vanderbilt had a dunk swatted away by Draymond. Lowry had an opportunity at the rim affected by Draymond. And then the Kelly Olynyk block by Draymond. They had their shots, but they played a team that's unreal at home, and they were bested. This was way more encouraging than I thought that the Jazz would be here at the end of 2022. I thought there would be way more process losses of, okay, now they're listening to Will Hardy. Now they're starting to figure things out of the way that he wants to play. But it's gone much better than that. They've been a 500 team. They're in that playing zone. They have an all-star. 2022 hasn't gotten the way that I've anticipated, but that's okay because at the very least, you can see they're starting to get it. And the Warriors have more championship medal. They have more games under their belt than this group together. 
Because as much as the experience that they have as individual parts, together, not as much. And so the Warriors win that game. And my only thought, start of a grander take on the Western Conference, is would be tough if I said this week that I was fine in the West. Because there are way too many good teams in this conference. And a little backstory, John Morant. He's the guy who said to Malika Andrews on ESPN when she asked him, are there any teams that you contend with in the Western Conference? And Ja said, I'm fine in the West. I don't know if this is the week to say that because the talent level is out of this world. Luca, just this week, 60-20-10, and he's playing with an enthusiasm. The missed shot to force overtime, he misses a free throw and then puts it back in and jumps up and looks like a toddler celebrating the shot. The Knicks in that game were throwing that double team at him, and he was quickly dicing it up because he's seen every coverage. He knows exactly how to beat everything because he's played so many games, and his mind is so attuned with where everybody should be on the court that that's a quick pass, three, and it's over. You're dead. Luka in that game was undeniable. And then Jokic on Sunday... On Christmas Day, that slate of games. The best one might have been the last one with Suns Nuggets. Jokic is inevitable. Any shot that he has in the paint, I immediately think he's going to get the offensive board and put it right back in. And that's not to mention the two-man game that he has with Murray. And on top of all of that, the dunk of the year with Aaron Gordon on Phoenix. And mind you, the Suns didn't have Devin Booker who went out way early in that game. So Phoenix looks like they'll be okay once Devin Booker comes back because he was playing at an MVP-type level. And then I'm watching last night, Clippers-Celtics look like a slugfest. It was a heavyweight bout. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, if they're together, and they're slowly creeping up the standings, they're slowly getting back up in the West, if they're together and they're healthy, they become not a theoretical team, but a real team that can contend. George was hitting shots that looked like that season in OKC where he was unstoppable, pushing every right button, going blow for blow with the best team in the league. I would not want to be an MVP voter because this year has so many candidates. The talent level across the league is so high. But just in the Western Conference, the parody, who's going to make it out, I have no idea. That's why I picked the Nuggets earlier this season, because all the talent's so stacked close together. I'm just throwing a dart at the board. A good dart, but a dart nonetheless. Who's fine in the West? Nobody. And mind you, when you get out of the West, you're going to have to deal with somebody in the East who's even more formidable. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Jeremy Taché, Bally Sports Florida. We'll talk about the East. I feel like we forget about them here in the West. So a little sampling of what's going on there, how the Heat stack up, and who are the best teams, because the Nets are coming. And Kelly Olenek talk with Jeremy Taché, Bally Sports Florida, here on Round Ball Roundup. 
When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. back and forth and now happy to be talking heat and jazz as we head into uh, New Year's weekend. And we got it done and I'm wearing a backwards hat in honor <laughs> of our guy, Kelly Olenek. Kelly O. He played on the heat. Give me the juice on Kelly Olenek. What do you miss from watching him day to day? Because I think it's quite the experience to watch Kelly Olenek wherever he is. He just tries so much. What do you miss from watching him? Absolutely. Well, so what's fun for me is this is my first year covering the Heat on sort of a day-to-day basis as the reporter. Um, so I was working as, as a sports producer at a local news station um, here in Miami when Kelly O was on the Heat. And so it was more of a, I'd interact with him just every once in a while, sort of from a behind-the-scenes perspective. So really, I, I observed him more as a Heat fan. Like, I was watching games and you know, his, uh, we'll call it a streaky offensive nature, um, was so much fun and also at times as a fan exasperating because you saw the skills that were there and then sometimes he was up and down. But what was always amazing is no matter what level of production he had on on the floor, you always knew and that he fit into, you know, the proverbial heat culture because he was always a guy giving 100% effort. Um, who was always trying to do all the little things. He was great at drawing charges. He was always setting screens. Um, and at a time where he played with a different combination of big men here, um, he played with Hassan Whiteside. He also played with Bam Adebayo. Those are two very different personalities and motors um, of guys to play alongside. And what's very funny is there's this sort of proverbial heat Twitter joke, which is like finding the perfect four to play next to Bam. Like that's it's kind of this running bit on heat Twitter about trying to find the right guy who's the right fit next to him. And even when the heat have it, it's all but that guy could be an even better fit. And really, Kelly O was a tremendous fit next to Bam and everything that he brings. And one of my favorite things that that Kelly was great at during his time with the Heat that we used to love was during that time, Spolstra had the Heat run a ton of dribble handoffs, particularly with Duncan Robinson. And there was nobody better at faking the handoff and then driving to the rim and sometimes throwing it down than Kelly O, which was always like really fun and really energetic for, for Heat games and it would boost the crowd at home. So he was one of those guys who always did the little things and you know, like you mentioned, he's just such a, a personality on the floor that I really do miss watching him play. Like he was he was um he was certainly a glue guy when the Heat were in that era of Heat basketball. Those QB keepers. You oh, know, the it, best. For the Jazz, it's Jordan Clarkson right. who comes off of those things, the Duncan Robinson role. And he just mm-hmm. goes straight to the rim and he had this really weird, very dumb winner against the pelicans earlier this year where he just flips it up oh and it yeah goes in it doesn't make sense it uh-huh. doesn't make sense how he's right. so successful doing what he does out there on the floor for your team 
I used to call him, and now this is a niche baseball reference, and so this might not be right for the audience, but I used to call Kelly Olynyk the Hunter Pence of the NBA. And if anybody remembers Hunter Pence when he played for the San Francisco Giants, he's he had this wild man haircut and beard. He had the strangest batting stance you've ever seen. He threw the ball right-handed, but it like almost looked like he was throwing with the wrong hand. It looked that clumsy and uncoordinated, and yet... He was one of the most productive players in baseball and helping a team as a glue guy going to a World Series. And Kelly O always reminded me of the same thing where it was like, I don't understand how what you're doing is on this floor with all of these athletes is 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 working. It doesn't make any sense aesthetically. It doesn't make any sense. And yet he always gets the job done. So, yeah, he he's one of those guys that when you have him on your team, he's certainly a fan favorite. Did you have to turn your feelings on Kelly O because he was a Celtic? From the Celtics? Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. It was one of those things where, you know, there's also always this um, really quick rationalization that you can do if you are a heat culture snob, as most of heat fandom can be, uh, which is, oh, okay, he came here now because he knows that this is the real place to be. You know what I mean? Like if you really want to be a winner, if you really want to be tough, if you, you know, like all of that stuff that you can kind of build up yourself. So, so quickly the enemy becomes your friend because you're like, Oh no, it's because he played against us in those playoff games that he knows why he should be here. Like that's the way that you rationalize it as the fan. And so it is really funny now, like, you know, working in this space where I, I covered the team to, to have that kind of pulse of how Heat fandom works and, and knowing the way that fans react to all of that stuff because, you know, it, it feeds the stories that we have now with all of the other types of role players and these two-way guys and, and all of that type of stuff. How is Heat culture a thing? Because I've been looked this week and Orlando Robinson is giving the Timberwolves issues. They have Max Struess. You had uh, Gabe Vincent. These names that nobody knows heading into draft night. Nobody understands these guys are actually going to one day play a role on an NBA team, give somebody NBA minutes. How is it that Heat culture creates these players and has it so they can contribute for NBA rosters? That's the secret sauce, right? Like that's that's what we all, um, it's the Krabby Patty secret formula. Like nobody really knows besides Riley and Spolstra and I think Udonis Haslam, right? Like he's the original um, who was part of this heat culture of an undrafted guy who went and played overseas and came back and the heat turned him into a key role player on a championship team, like his third year in the league alongside Dwayne Wade. They both, you know, were part of that 2003 draft class. And then Udonis Haslam, people forget, was truly a key piece of that first heat championship team you know the, the first one to win it during the big three era he was a huge part of it when they went to the finals their very first season and then he started to get a little older and you know a, a, not play as much of a role once you know Shane Battier was there Ray Allen and the rotation got a little tighter but this is a guy who exemplifies that heat culture and I really do believe you know he's that last guy on the end of the bench for the heat right now um, and has been for a few years where a lot of fans around the league and even some Heat fans go, well, why doesn't he just become a coach? You know, why doesn't Udonis Haslam just become a coach? And when you talk to the guys, like I've, I've spoken with Gabe about this and Caleb Martin about this and what they say is like, 
when you're still a player, there's some stuff you can say and there's some ways that you can challenge your fellow teammates that you can't do once you're quote-unquote management. Even if they know UD's not that guy, when you're still a player on the team, there's an element of, of checking each other. When you're watching UD and Jimmy play one-on-one -on -one in practice every single day, if that guy's still giving a thousand percent then I've got to do that if I'm, you know, the 17th man on the roster. And I think that there's this mentality that's sort of been shaped into what they do. And it really did start during that big three era. You know, that seemed like a lot of, and it was, a lot of flash, a lot of fun, a lot of running and gunning. But if you really look back, like, that team was built on its defense. If you look back at the scores when they were winning in the finals, it wasn't because, you know, they were putting up 120 a night. Like, they were winning a lot of games 98 to 88 against the Thunder that had, you know, Durant and Westbrook and Harden and Ibaka. Like, they were slowing down teams, and they were built on defense and toughness. And that stems from Pat Riley to the, the type of game that Eric Spolster wants to play. Um, and ultimately, when you take all of that and sort of cook it up in a pot, and you've got these guys who, the one thing I think the Heat are spectacular at is putting guys in position to succeed is finding what guys' strengths are, exemplifying those, and then building up their weaknesses. And so if you look at a player like Duncan Robinson, for example, Duncan today is a much, 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 much better all-around basketball player than he was the day he came into the league. He was a naturally great shooter who they turned into an elite shooter through whether it be coaching, conditioning, game plan, but they built that guy up there. But what they also did is they built up his weaknesses and never overexposed him. So when Duncan Robinson was playing defense, there was more switching so that they could make sure that even defensively, they were sometimes over switching to get him out of bad matchups. They were using him in dribble handoffs, not necessarily having him stand around or run around too much, exemplifying guys' strengths and then building up their weaknesses. And so when you look at players like Gabe, Vincent, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, Caleb Martin, all these undrafted guys, the Heat found, I think you can do this thing and this thing great, and we'll build you up on the rest. And that's sort of their mentality with every player that they have. Even guys uber talented like Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo, who they drafted in the lottery, they allowed them to thrive at what they were good at. Bam's rookie year, he only played 20 minutes a night and played a lot of great defense and was basically used as a screener because they wanted to build up the rest of his skills that they knew could be elite one day, and now he operates the offense half the time, you know? So it's really fun to watch the way that they have patience, and in a lot of ways, that's why they don't often care about their draft picks because they go, all right, we'll go turn some second-round pick or undrafted guy into a key role player, and we'll use those picks to, to go grab the superstar whose talent we can't acquire otherwise. That's why I think for Jazz fans, when they saw Dwayne Wade was coming into the fold, they hoped that he brought a little bit of that heat culture into the Jazz to figure uh -huh. that out. And David Fizdale, I hope he has some of the IP as well, now an associate. We love Fizz around these places. Yeah, we, we love David Fizdale. Obviously, there's, yeah, seeing Dwayne Wade over there and David Fizdale, you know, it, it means there's got to be some of that mentality going around, at least a little bit. Hope so. What is the outlook for this team this year? 18 and 17 so far they've had to deal with some injuries what is the outlook now for this team 
I think every few games, if you asked, like, for the pulse of Heat Nation, quote-unquote, it'd be totally flailing every other direction. Um, it has been such a strange season full of what what I think a lot of people have thought were going to be signature wins that then pushed the Heat to the level of, all right, yeah, no, now they're going to get going. And then all of a sudden, you know, a four-game losing streak, right? They they beat Boston in Boston at the end of November, and then they turn around and lose back-to-back games to, like, Memphis without their entire roster and, and, and another team that was down a star or two. And, you know, it's been strange in large part because of the inconsistency of the injuries. So this team, number one, didn't do a lot to, to change their roster from last year. And so automatically there's going to be parts of – what you run, what you do, that's it's almost going to be stale coming into a new season where you were let down at the, uh, the previous year. Um, you lose P.J. Tucker. That was a key part of their rotation. And then going into the season, the Heat thought both Omer Yurtsevin as a big man and Victor Oladipo as a backup guard would be in the rotation. And all of a sudden, about a week before the season started, there was the realization of, oh, shoot, neither of them are going to be in the rotation. And so now you're 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 reshaping. You're playing Dwayne Dedman some more minutes as a guy who can't necessarily play next to Bam Adebayo, where Omer Yurtsevin did have the skill set, particularly offensively, to do so. So now your big man rotation changes. Without Victor Oladipo, you're now playing Duncan Robinson more minutes, which is a bit of a duplicate to what Max Struess does. And so now you got to stagger their minutes. There was a change in the rotation right off the bat. But even then, the starting lineup performed well together until they started getting hurt. And last season, the Heat were able to overcome injuries. I mean, Bam Adebayo was out for six weeks last year, and the Heat were still a number one seed. And I've long said that he's the one player they cannot play without. Jimmy could miss on this team. Jimmy, Kyle, Tyler could all miss some time, and the Heat could survive. Bam can't. Um, for the Heat to survive long-term. Um, and that's just specifically because of how unique he is as a player and as the the sort of focal point of what they do. But because these injuries haven't been, all right, this guy's going to miss three weeks, it's two games here, back for a game, gone for a game, back for three games, gone for two games. There's no consistency. And what the Heat have had to build since... LeBron left and Wade left and Bosch left and, and it was no longer truly superstar driven. Jimmy Butler is a superstar, right? Kyle Lowry is a star. Bam Adebayo, I believe, is a superstar. Tyler, Tyler Hero is a star. But these guys are not, you know, right now, Luka Doncic, you know, who can play by himself and be the, you know, Nikola Jogic, uh, Giannis, these guys who can carry it all by themselves for a full season. Um, this team is built off chemistry, off role players, off guys filling a specific niche on this team and thriving in that role. And so, Bam Adebayo missed six weeks last year. All right, Omer Yurtsevin, we're going to have you step in, and this is what we need you to do, and this is what we need everybody else to do. And okay, for six weeks, let's all do that. But when it's every other game and your bench looks different and your guards look different and your chemistry is not there, particularly defensively, this team has no chance to succeed and to thrive. And so now, as they seemingly start to get healthy, (laughs) as they seemingly start to fit more into their roles, as they seemingly start to have close to the full roster, 
you would hope that they can stack more and more wins together if you were looking at it from an optimistic side. On the same stretch, five games here on the road, you got the Jazz, you got the Nuggets, you got the Clippers, you got the Lakers. It's not exactly, I mean, not that all of these teams have great records, but that West Coast stretch is never an easy thing um, for an East Coast team. And, you know, they're plucking along and they're still right you know, a game above 500 somehow, despite everything going seemingly as bad as it can go in a lot of ways, the thing that makes you optimistic is that their four best players, Jimmy, Bam, Tyler, and Kyle, when they're on the floor, are all playing just about the best basketball they've played in years, right? Like for Bam and Tyler, they're playing the best basketball of their careers. Jimmy is playing extraordinarily well when he's on the floor. And Kyle Lowry really is kind of the only reason the team was able to stay afloat at the beginning of the year when everybody else was missing games. So weirdly enough, there is this kind of optimism of, oh, if there's just a decent run and you can finish right about the middle of the conference, you never know what happens. Can they stack up that group with what you've seen from Boston, Brooklyn even now as they're coming on strong? Milwaukee as they get their pieces back as well can Miami still contend with those teams that's a great question um I always tend to to say yes with this group based off of what I know they're capable of at their best when I look at basically the conglomerate of since the 2020 season to now it's essentially been close to the same group, the same core. Um, in 2020, it was a lot of this. It was a team that was still getting comfortable, a team that clearly looked like they needed a tweak or two to the rotation. They made a trade for Jay Crowder and Andre Godala, and then obviously the pandemic happens. It shut down the season. They come back to the bubble, and they're the best team in the world. You know, everything's working perfectly. The chemistry is unbelievable. The defense is perfect. Everybody's playing their role. Everything's incredible. They come back for the 2021 season with relatively the same roster. A few things changing here and there. No more Jay Crowder. Now you've got PJ Tucker, you know, whatever's going on. So things are things are tweaked at the four, right? We're talking about who's the perfect four next to Bam early in the podcast. That's still what you've got going on. But either way, the, the roster's tweaked ever so slightly, but you basically came back after six weeks after losing in the finals. And so injuries, injuries, injuries. And, and I think a lot of us thought, oh, you know what? It's close to the same group. Once they get to the playoffs, turn it on. Everything's going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, the season just ended. They got crushed by the Bucks, and it was, oh, wait a second. They never turned it on. They, they never found that groove, right? Then last year happens. A couple more tweaks. And despite some injuries, they're a number one seed. They played some of the best basketball in the world. All of their players seem to ascend. Great season. Everything's wonderful. Run it back this year. And now it's a question of, will it eventually snap back into place? Or like after their last finals run, will they follow up an Eastern Conference finals run with a year that's just full of seemingly mismatched parts? And so, if the Heat aren't their full selves going into the postseason, if the chemistry isn't there, if they're still struggling in the half-court offense with the starting unit, if they can't figure out, you know, how to use Tyler defensively late in games, um, if, if, if they don't know 
where to stagger minutes next to Bam as? Is it, is it Caleb Martin? Is it Haywood Highsmith? Another one of these projects that they've turned into a Swiss Army knife. You know, there's a chance they don't figure it out. And in turn, they will get crushed by the Bucks or the Celtics or the Nets. If they figure it out, you have to give them a fighter's chance against these teams because at their best, I still believe that they're the deepest team in the Eastern Conference in terms of productive players in a nine-man rotation who all can hurt you in different ways. I mean, Duncan Robinson doesn't play for this team, and he's the fastest player ever to 800 threes. Like, he, he's really not supposed to be in the rotation. He's only been in it in large part because of all these missing pieces. So the depth is there. I'd give them a fighter shot. But based off what we've seen so far this season, there isn't a lot of reason to believe that they should hang with Boston or Milwaukee or even Brooklyn. Um, it's just, you know, looking at it from the optimistic point of view and trying to find what could go right, knowing that those individual performances have been good, knowing that Bam and Tyler are better players than they were last year, and hoping that, hey, you get to the playoffs, you never know what happens. Um I can't rule it out that this team can make a run. Now, talk to me in 10 games. Maybe maybe I feel differently. Well, it's so true. Playoffs, you don't really know what's going to happen mm-hmm. because last year, Jimmy Butler makes that three at the end and the Celtics aren't going to the finals. A fraction of the way from eliminating their team, Jason Tatum, are, are we talking about him the same right. way that we are today? You know, those things flip on a dime. And particularly given how, like... The, the Tatum versus the Heat narrative would all be so different considering where it ended in the bubble. And, you know, he didn't exactly have his... I mean, he was great. He was spectacular. But he it, there would have been things to criticize about his performance in that Eastern Conference final series had the, the result gone the other way. And when you think about it, it's inches from that. And think about how differently people are talking about this Heat season if they were a team that just went to the finals. Like, it would have felt entirely different. Oh, they've been to the finals two out of the last three years. Oh, they lost to LeBron and to Steph. You know, like, it would have been a very different narrative about this core instead of one right now where there's folks all across the country throwing out trade hypotheticals of how to blow it up because it's quote-unquote not working. And it's like, what are you talking about? What what game are you watching, you know? Well, and, and that's uh, the beauty of, of Heat yep. Twitter, Heat culture, oh, the and best. everything. Yeah. I bet <laughs> uh, you there's, love it. There's, there's no culture that photoshops jerseys onto their players more than Heat culture. I'll tell you that. And it's whether it's the Miami mashup jerseys, Vice, whatever you got, there's a, there's a photoshop of your favorite player in a Miami Heat jersey somewhere on the internet. Donovan was definitely getting the photoshop. Oh, uh, man. A he- lot. I think everybody everybody down here was was convinced that that trade was happening. And and specifically they were like, "All right, D-Wade was sent there as a special agent. We're getting a good deal." All right, it's perfect. Like that I know that that was the sentiment of a lot of people online because again, I am I am terminally online unfortunately. Uh <laughs> as as I think we all are. Um Ev- but everybody y- is. Yeah, NBA Twitter. What's what are you going to do? <laughs> Let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. 
First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. How is it now going from Heat fan to now actually covering the team with Valley Sports? It's the craziest thing in the world. Um, I I am so thankful every day that I get to do what I do as a job. Um, sorry, that was actual congestion, not me getting emotional, but you might as well. We can pretend like it was. I... Um, I <laughs> I grew up as a huge Heat fan down here. Um, you know, I'm I'm 27 years old. Um, so 2006, I was 11 when Dwayne Wade leads the Heat with Shaq to a championship, and it it changed South Florida. South Florida had been a Dolphins town. It was all about the Miami Dolphins. Um, the Miami Marlins won a World Series. Then Florida Marlins. When I was a kid. But there was so much betrayal from from what had gone down with that franchise at, at, when I was young that it was hard to, you know, be a huge fan. And so the Heat were this example of success. And then I'm in high school and LeBron comes and it's the big three. And I can't think of a cooler time to be a fan of that team than when you're a high school kid and you and all your buddies are hanging out watching all the playoff games and sometimes going down. And I, I actually never went to a Heat playoff game during that stretch. Um, but, I mean, we'd watch all of these moments together and the Ray Allen shot is, like, to this day, one of my favorite memories with my best friends, you know? And so I go off to school and I, in large part, because of my passion for the Heat, and all of these other sports, you know, I studied sports broadcasting. I was a musical theater kid in high school, and I played baseball, and I was like, how can I combine sports and performing? Oh, sports media, let's do it. And I did not expect to, like, have a role here in South Florida. The whole thing always, as I'm sure you have experienced or anyone else in this industry has experienced, is, hey, you're going to have to go to the middle of nowhere <laughs> to start. You're going to have to take a job you don't want to have. You're going to have to work hours you don't want to work. And it's then if you're so lucky, you'll find your way back to a city you actually want to be in, let alone just being in a big city. And so for me, when I graduated, I went to the University of Central Florida, UCF, Go Knights, National Champs, whole thing. Uh, <laughs> but I went there. I graduated. And I, I moved back home to South Florida because I didn't have a job. I had applied for so many, and I thought I was set up for so much success through my internships, through my jobs in college. I really thought, oh, man, I'm going to get to, you know, even if it's, you know, if it's production, if it's behind the scenes, I'm going to get to do something big. And I didn't, I didn't land a job. So I moved back home and through a friend of a friend heard there was an overnight news writer position at a local TV station here in Miami applied for that while I was applying for that a sports job opened worked as a sports producer they said be here six months before you go off and I was there for three years because I was picky I didn't want to leave South Florida I loved covering these teams and even getting paid nothing it was more enjoyable to me to be around the teams here and 
to do it that way than to just pick some place to go because I was so desperate to be in front of the camera or whatever it might be. And so a job opened up here at Bally locally for this digital host and reporter position. I applied for it and I didn't get it. And I was devastated (laughs) and I watched the job go to somebody else in 2019 and she did a really great job. But a few months in, the pandemic happened, her job changed, life changed for everybody. And at the end of a year, they both decided, all right, she was moving on. And because I was an annoying pest who kept emailing and emailing and emailing the person I had applied with, hey, I've got ideas. Hey, I'm moving out to Fort Lauderdale. I'm going to be three minutes away from the studio. I'd love to come in even just as a producer, blah, 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 blah. We got on a Zoom and he said, hey, I think this job might actually be perfect for you. And that was at the beginning of 2021. We launched the podcast Miami Miked Up with Bally Sports Florida and Son six months later. I've gotten to do all of these crazy interviews and have all of this fun. And then a job opens up here with the heat to be on the sideline. I threw my name out there to the only people I knew connected to the job and said, I'd love just a chance to even talk about having it was invited for an interview and fully expected not to get the job because I just couldn't believe I was even in the room sit, you know, at the heat's house on Biscayne Bay, you know, auditioning for this role that was, you know, uh, the job of a lifetime in a lot of ways. And when I found out that I was going to get to be on the broadcasts and that I would join Jason Jackson and Eric Reed and John Crotty and talk with Ron Rothstein at halftime. I mean, these guys are legends for me when I'm doing the broadcasts and I have them in the IFB in my ears. I feel like I'm just at home watching the game on TV. Cause that's what I've done my whole life. And then they're like, Hey Jeremy, we're coming to you after the break. I'm like, Oh, right. I'm doing my job right now. Like it's crazy. Uh, So I know that was just like my whole life story thrown out there to recap it, but it's all to say, like, I cannot believe I get to do this job. And I feel so lucky to work with so many incredible people who are such pros who have taught me so much about what to do already, you know, and I just hope that I'm, I'm doing okay and, and holding up my end of the bargain to make sure that these broadcasts are as, as fun and energetic and full of joy that the like that he broadcast brought me my whole life like I think about that there's some kid who's 15 16 who like now is like I want to do what Jeremy does and that's insane to me like insane and I'm always going to be that 15 16 year old kid who watched the heat was watching the big three with my friends and was like man how fun would that be so it's just like it's the experience of a lifetime. I feel I feel so grateful. There's such a value for some people to go to the middle of nowhere and get those reps and do it. I, everybody's path is different. For sure. You know, Adam Lefko, he was on the, the show. He started in middle of nowhere, Nebraska, and got reps and got yep. better. Mm-hmm. Moved to Louisville, got better, and now he's he gets to sit next to yep. some of the most famous people in NBA basketball. Crazy story. Amazing. Well, And, and I will say to that, like, you're totally right. The reality is, is that I'm constantly feeling like, man, yeah. I can't believe I get yeah. to do this because I didn't go to that place and get all those reps. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you guys. 
my first game this season on the Heat broadcast was my second time ever doing <laughs> live sideline reporting on television, ever. And it was during an NBA game. It doesn't make any sense. I I agree. Like, I have... You could look at the, you know, quote unquote resume. And yes, there's all sorts of reasons for me to be here in this position. But I am feeling just like you are where I'm like, oh, my God, I it should have been that I should have had to go get all of those reps. This is crazy. So I agree like those stories. That's the way that it normally has to go. And it's hugely beneficial. There's a reason that's the norm. Um, and so that's why I feel so grateful that through the reps, through podcasts or radio hits or random TV guest hits, that I was able to shape some on-air personality enough to now be in this position where I can can do this. Because you're right, like those reps are eternally valuable. But I also think like it's very important to have somebody in a place that they care about. And you care about South Florida. You care about these teams. Yeah, exactly. So much. That, <laughs> that bleeds out into yeah. your personality. It bleeds into how you cover the team, how you podcast about the team. I grew up here, and I went to college away, but I right. always knew I wanted to come back here. I wanted to come back to Salt Lake because mm. I care about all the teams that are in this area. So it's that can even replace all those reps because your reps were 15 years old in the basement watching the game. Yep. You're totally right. You're totally, you're totally right. And, and that I don't think, and I, I mean this, like I don't think I could do what I'm doing right now in right. any other city. Like so much of, of what it is that's, that's so much of what it is that I know to ask is ingrained, you know, as questions in interviews with coaches or players is ingrained in the fact that I was raised on the history of these franchises. <laughs> like when I'm asking Marlon's questions to Sandy Alcantara about the type of season that he's having as a, you know, as a starting pitcher, as he goes for the Cy Young, I remember watching Dontrell Willis. I remember watching Josh Beckett. I remember how they made me feel when they pitched. And I'm able to compare that to how Sandy Alcantara makes me feel when he pitches. And I I care about the people of the community too. Like I I love South Florida because it's a very unique place. Like there's there's really no place like it and the more and more that I grow as a, as a as a person, the more I realize like even the divide between Broward County and Miami-Dade County is a, is a fascinating one. Like this is such an interesting place to be and there's so many different types of people. Um, and understandably, like I know we get like the Florida man thing, uh, quite a bit and, and, and with, with, with rightful cause, uh, but at the same, at the same point, it's a really like loving, diverse and fascinating place to have grown up and to still experience life. And so like, when I think about a lot of time, when I think about our broadcast now, I think about the joy that the broadcast brought me in 2020 when the pandemic was happening and we were all locked in our homes and how like the heat were this unbelievable bonding point for all of the people who I knew in South Florida, whether they were people I had spoken to in 10 years, like if it were people from high school who were just excited on Facebook, which shows how old I am that I'm talking about Facebook. Uh, but you know, whether they were, 
were posting about it and excited or it was group chats with friends or it was reaching out to people who you had specific memories with or it was people reaching out to me knowing how much I cared saying like how fun is this because we were all searching for something to bond over and it just made me remember just how much you know sports can do for people and and how much impact they have and so I know what it's done for me. I know what like playing sports did for me. I know what watching sports with family and friends has done for me. And so now when I'm on a broadcast, like all I can think about is like, I just want to make this as joyful as it can be for all of the people watching um, and and be thankful for the chance. Well, let's to do end it. there because this is how you do your podcast. What's bringing you joy off the court? Oh, man, that's a really wonderful question. You usually Thank ask you. it, so I want to give you an opportunity to answer it. I do. I do. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So, yes. So thank you for asking me the question that I ask other folks. You're putting me on the spot in a way that I don't know how to answer, and now I understand why people take so long to answer the question. Um, what's, br what's brought me joy recently outside of work? Um, I would just say you know, <laughs> I got to go, um, with my fiance's family up to visit her family in St. Augustine, Florida for Christmas. Uh, I'm Jewish. So Christmas is always super fun for me because it's like the most joyous time ever. Uh, I love Hanukkah and everything that comes with Hanukkah, but you know, there's this extra ploy of Christmas spirit that is so fun. Um, and this, seeing all of her like her niece and nephews and just the pure like happiness on their faces over every last little gift it could be a pair of socks and it's just like watching kids open presents is like just the most pure thing in the world but my favorite part of the entire thing is that her nephew who is seven years old is wicked smart and so they're like Clearly, they're realizing to keep him believing in Santa, they got to pull out all the stops. And so her sister and brother-in-law made a fake ring doorbell video of Santa flying over the house so that in the morning, their son could see video of, oh, the ring doorbell caught him. <laughs> wow. He must be real. Like, And all I can think about is in a few years, like that's a major, like, holy cow, this kid is going to be hit over the head with the reality of this. But for the moment, his face, when he when we got over there for Christmas Eve, or I guess not Christmas Eve, for, for the night of Christmas, right? So it was Christmas Day at night to go see them. I mean, he was like, looked like he was ready to just jump out of his skin with energy of like, you won't believe what we saw. Uh, it's it's pretty awesome. And so, yeah, that that's something that definitely put a smile on my face uh, over the last couple of weeks. And I hope everybody listening to this had wonderful holidays and also a happy new year. As when you're listening to this, I imagine, I don't know when this comes out, maybe soon, maybe today, today. maybe tomorrow. I don't know what today is supposed to be in the, in the ears of the listeners. All right. So today it's almost New Year's Eve. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody enjoys their new year and 2023 is the best year I hope so. yet. I hope so for, for everyone. Uh, Jeremy Taché covering the heat for Bally Sports on Roundball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you.